Welcome to the DC Three Cast. I'm Brian. With me, as always, is Vince, and we have our first of something like six weeks in a row with a guest sitting in the third chair. So, uh, say hello to MultiversityComics.com editor, host of Force Ghost Coast to Coast, and uh, our good friend Alice W. Castle. Say hi, Alice. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. I feel like it's been a while since I was last on DC Three because that was when we were talking about Action Comics, and that was before Rebirth. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a while. It's it been has. a long time since I've graced the airwaves of the DC3 cast. <laughs> I feel like the good news is that our site is just so incestuous that we pop up on each other's shit all the time. So both oh, yeah. of us have been on Force Ghost recently, so it's not like we haven't talked. And are and are both going to be on it soon. Yeah. Hint, hint tease, tease. <laughs> well, I mean, Vince's episode went up now, so... Yeah. <laughs> If you if you're hearing this, Vince is on the most recent episode of Force Ghost, and I'll be on next month, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Alice has turned me into a Star Wars novel reading machine. I'm oh, so man. happy. I'm, I'm so. Happy. I'm about to read my. I'm about to start my third in like a month. So, yeah. It's, it's so good. <laughs> um, anyway, though, we are here to talk about DC Comics tonight. We're talking about the DC Comics specifically released on June 7th, 2017. So if you haven't read those, pause the podcast, read them, or beware, you shall be spoiled. Now, before we get into that, Alice, let's just briefly touch on what your, like, not this week, but what your regular week of DC reading looks like right now. Uh, maybe Action Comics if it comes out sometimes catching up in bulk in Superman if it ends an arc and finding out why I hate Batman each issue. That's pretty <laughs> much it. Um, since Rebirth... So, with superhero comics, I've realized that basically Marvel Unlimited, not to talk about the Marvel stuff on the DC uh, podcast... Alice, this is but... a lot like um, the Adventure Zones. So all they're going to hear is, shh, when you say <laughs> yeah. Marvel. <laughs> um basically the idea of like uh like a unlimited uh platform for comics has changed the way that I read superheroes and trying to follow them week to week has been exhausting for me. So I'm kind of waiting and hoping, praying for this DC unlimited thing to maybe happen in the future. Um so that I can actually catch up and rebirth. So cause there's some good comics that I know I'm missing, but that I just haven't been able to catch up on like week to week. I think that's a fair, you know, uh, that's a fair position to take. What I will say in uh, in support of a DC Unlimited package is that the rumor is that it's also going to have some uh, video content as part of it, specifically the third season yeah. of Young Justice and the new Titans live action show. So hopefully if that comes out, they don't scrimp on the comics to give you more uh, like you know, uh, film and television stuff. I'm hoping it's it's the full the full archives of DC, or at least close to the full archives. So we'll yeah, see. I hope so. I hope it's not just like here's our monthly selection of some very few comics from DC's past to tide oh. you over. I I want a solid DC library so that I can actually explore. Like there's a ton of '80s stuff in DC that I know I've missed because I just don't have access to it. Right. And, like, the tail end of the New 52 when it started to turn around with DCU that I just completely missed out on. Because all of a sudden it was like, hey, the Superman stuff in New 52 is good again. And I was like, wait, what? 
<laughs> I mean, good as in quotes. Some of it was good. Good as in quotes. Yeah. Um, I, I like the final days of Superman. Yeah, so did I. Um, you put you put Peter Tomasi writing a super book, and I'm I'm usually there. Uh, so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna start alphabetically at the top here, and um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna uh, should we should we start with Alice Vince or should we let Alice close out each each bit? Um, I I, I let's let's let let's let Alice uh start. Okay. Let's let's do that for all of our guests. Let's let's get some new new voices in here. Yeah. So people can be mad at somebody else besides us. <laughs> I Have feel you... like I should apologize to the listeners beforehand, knowing this, because for most of these comics this week, this is my first issue reading them, either <laughs> ever or since like the very first issue of In Rebirth. Right. So it's a lot of like, I don't know what's going on, but I guess the storytelling is good. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's going to be interesting. That's... Yes, it's just what we want. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're going to start with Aquaman, number 24, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Scott Eaton and Philippe Briones. Uh, this is the sort of, I guess, last part of the Crown of Atlantis uh, arc, or at least the, the third, fourth part. I don't remember exactly when it started. Vince, do you remember how many issues we are into this now? Is this the second issue of this arc? Yeah, it feels like it was. Yeah, yes. Aquaman's one of those books that all the arcs kind of run together. But this feels like the second issue, I think, of the arc. Um, so, Alice, give us your initial impressions of this Aquaman issue. I was surprised at how much I liked this. Um, it was a very... I'm trying to, fi- I'm trying to figure out my wording here, right? Because I, like, I don't usually care about Aquaman, to be honest. I feel like... Jeff I'm Johns is of- crying somewhere right now. Yeah. I'm the kind of person where every time I read an Aquaman comic, I'm like, I would like this more if it was a Namor comic, um, <laughs> which is probably heresy to say on this podcast. But he's always been kind of his solo stories have never really grabbed me. But what I really liked about this was the positioning of him as like the the king of Atlantis, but like the people of Atlantis are revolting against him and are a much more conservative society, and his. Like, making the fact that he has spent time on the surface world and with other heroes and with the Justice League, having that be um, a factor in the story and why he's not fully accepted by the Atlanteans at this point, I was actually really interested in that. If you like this, you would like this whole book. Yeah, yeah there, there was one arc that was kind of a downer where um, it was the last arc before this one where it was it was kind of like a... Um, like a predator movie almost. Yeah, what did we say? Like alien or predator movie yeah. happening in Atlantis, except not nearly as cool as that sounds. Um, but yeah, uh, that that does seem very cool. I yeah. like that's a bad way of selling it because yeah, that yeah. Me the one <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, well, maybe you maybe you like it, but but the it, yeah. it's kind of an arc that stuck out like a sore thumb, whereas this one kind of slots right back into the the story that we've been reading since the first issue so yeah i feel like if this does ever hit a like dc unlimited this is one you should check out if you like this <laughs> issue um because i i agree with you it's it's this is some really quality stuff and it's putting kind of a theme of abnett's aquaman to this point has been like putting him through the absolute ringer to make him seem like a weak king and you yeah. kind of like this issue is the culmination of seeing his people turn against him. Um, I think Abnett really kind of brilliantly put that together over a year. 
yeah, you can kind of see that um, where it's you, you can kind of see where he's coming from and like how the the surface world has kind of influenced how he thinks and it's kind of this trying to be the kind of liberal i guess uh-huh. um leader to a very conservative country where everybody he's like hey why, what if we actually start helping people and you can kind of see them being like um no <laughs> yeah. mm, let's not do that and i really liked the artwork i was surprised because it felt it felt very kind of like when i when i first kind of got to the first page and it's just this huge uh splash page of Aquaman and Sharks, I was like, is this going to be one of those like New 52 kind of um, Tony Daniels house style kind of things? But I really liked it as it got into it once um, things started kicking off and the the weird designs of Atlantis, it felt like a very, like, like you could tell that it was a very non-human world, even though I don't know if Atlanteans are technically human. They look <laughs> like... Humanoid, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like you can tell, it's a very different society from the surface world. Like the the little details of the kind of air bubbles on each panel were really nice. Yeah, I I think that um there's been a, a sort of rotating team of Scott Eaton, Philippe Briones, and uh, Brad Walker, and all of them have done a really nice job of making Atlantis feel like. I think sometimes what happens with Atlantis is that it just winds up looking like. I don't know, like a stereotypical like Roman or Greek society, but underwater. Whereas yeah. this does a really nice job of giving it some actual culture and some something that looks really different and looks really unique. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this book, and I'm I'm glad to hear that that you enjoyed it as well. I, like I said, I, I do think if you ever were to go back and give it a chance, you would thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, which is good. I was... I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt you again, but I was going to say I feel like everybody when the New Fifty Two came out was like, "Finally, a good Aquaman comic!" And I found that comic to be so boring and decompressed. And yeah. this feels way more interesting than that. I also felt like it was overcompensating. I feel like Jeff, like I know that Jeff Johns loves Aquaman, mm-hmm. but having in text Aquaman have to prove how cool he is to every character <laughs> he meets yeah. is kind of a bit much. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, like, I really like the ending of this issue. Like, how how much do we spoil stuff on oh, these? We can spoil it. Go ahead, talk about it. Because I was like, I was very much expecting Aquaman to just get away from the big thorn bush that's rising up over Atlantis. Where I'm not quite sure what was happening there. Are they like closing off Atlantis? I believe so. Well? Yes. Yeah. Like, I kind of seen that. Um, but I was kind of expecting him to get away. He'd go with Mira, and then he'd like lead some kind of resistance back into Atlantis. And then they just shank him. <laughs> they just shank him and let him drift to the bottom of the ocean. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is taking this is taking some risks there. This is this is like I got to the last page and I was like, yeah, I'm interested to read more of this. And I wasn't expecting to get that feeling from an Aquaman book. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good comic. It's funny. I interviewed Dan Abnett a few uh, weeks ago about the Lazarus Project, and we wound up talking kind of off after the interview about Aquaman, and he was talking about how he really loves going into the comic shop every week because he said, like, you know, he has to pick up all these DC books because he needs to know what's going on in the rest of the universe, but he feels like he's really enjoying all these DC books. I was like, oh, what's a DC book that you think isn't getting its fair due? And he's like, well, Aquaman, duh. <laughs> Which is funny because, <laughs> you know, he writes it. But yeah. I, I think he's right. I don't think people are talking about this book nearly as much as they should be. Mm-hmm. I think it is clearly one of the better Rebirth books. Um, 
I'm enjoying it, and yeah. I'm I'm the furthest away from someone who I ever thought would enjoy an Aquaman book. The la- the last time I was interested in Aquaman was the Peter David Hook can stuff. Oh man, oh. <laughs> you're speaking my language now, but you know that's that's, that's my Aquaman. <laughs> um, I'll throw I'll throw a uh, a shout out to the uh, the Brave and the Bold Aquaman. Oh, like the, like the cartoon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still haven't seen that, and I know that I should, because I know that I would enjoy it, but I haven't actually sat down to watch it. It's worth watching. Is yeah. it outrageous? Of course, it's it's completely outrageous. Um, all right, well, that's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's a fun way to start the uh, the chat. I'm going to guess, <laughs> was I the only one who read Bane this week? I read it. Okay, so Bane Conquest number two came I, out this week. I read two PGs, and there was a point... <laughs> Where um, some guy in a suit doing bad, like, kung fu mm-hmm. poses was like, oh, Bane sucks without Venom. And I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine out here. I like how he says, what's in that juice? <laughs> uh, we should just say this is written by Chuck Dixon, illustrated by Graham Nolan, the two creators of Bane. Uh, so... Alice, this is a terrible comic. You've, you've learned that now. <laughs> um, a little bit. Uh, Vince, what did you think of this issue? Oh, awful! It yeah. was. Um, it's. It, it gets even worse when. Uh, okay, the worst thing about this issue. I don't really need to talk about it all that much, but the worst thing about this issue is when Bane, who we've been taught to believe is this like formidable foe that is more or less Batman's equal, right? Right. Just start like he gets this prison meal. And Bruce says, ah, Bane, you might want to, you know, watch out before you eat that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's just shoving food in his mouth, and then he passes out because it's poisoned or something. You know, there's something in it. And it's like, are you like, are you kidding me? It was that easy? You know, like, this to me is not, this is not the Bane that's, like, intimidating and an and equal match for Batman. Right. If he's just going to, like, slam down some food and pass out. <laughs> That yeah, it wasn't like the kind of the original point of Bane, the fact that he was as smart as he was tough. That was how he got. That's that was how he like broke Batman in Nightfall. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. he was able to outthink him and to see how. I I miss Secret Six Bane. I like. Oh yeah. Was it Secret Six? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Gilson monster. Um. I feel like every kind of Bane story after that has been trying to like let's bring back Bane back to being a villain, and I'm like, let's no. How about we don't? Because every time they do that, it's really boring. I feel like Bane is the perfect distillation of what people think the '90s comics were like. Yes, but he's actually much better than that. But you'll never know it because of what we've talked about tonight. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's he's had been, the development there. Yeah. yeah. But the, just there were so few writers. Like I don't want to go back and rag on the the Batman arc recently, oh, God. Um, <laughs> even more than than I already have. But just like every time someone's tried to like recenter Bane as this villain, it's never been as effective as his like first appearance in Nightfall because they never allow like it's never some big event where he outthinks Batman. He just shows up to be tough. And it's so underwhelming. He shows up to break him. <laughs> He's gonna break his damn back. Exactly. <laughs> of course. 
man, like I would I would prefer like a comic that's about uh Tom Hardy Bane than <laughs> like cause flipping through this, I like I'm glad I bounced when I did. I didn't even know Bruce Wayne was in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> but just wow. You're better off for it. Absolutely. Anything in particular to add, Vinci? No, no, no. no. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, the mask looks really dumb when there's a mouth hole in it. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks, it, looks like, it looks like he's wearing a glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm never going to be able to unsee that. <laughs> You're welcome. <sighs> All right, well, that brings us to Batman number 24, written by Tom King, illustrated by David Finch and uh, Clay Mann. And uh, this was an uh, an interesting issue in that you get Clay Mann did all of the scenes that were Batman and Gotham Girl, and um, Finch did all the Batman-Catwoman scenes. And, you know, the book feels kind of stitched together for that, reason but i think that was actually intentional and it doesn't not work a lot of this issue doesn't work i don't think that is a problem though um alice what do you think of this issue i don't think that necessarily is the problem i think the problem is the fact that nothing fucking happens in this issue <laughs> not a goddamn like the only thing that happens is the thing that you already know going into the issue because dc themselves told you what's going to happen yeah. um we reported on it. The catalyst for Vince's most popular tweet ever, you mean? <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't even see that. What happened there? Oh, it was um so he says marry me, which is uh are you familiar with the rest of development? Uh not as much as people would like me to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. So yeah, that's so there's a there's a there's a running joke in in uh rest of development where a character says marry me to get themselves out of a like awkward situation, they just say "marry me" to like change the subject, and uh, so I said, it, "the character's name is maybe Funke," and I said, mm. uh, "I said um, Bruce is saying this in the maybe Funke sense," and for some reason, I got like three hundred faves and like thirty. <laughs> it's by far my most popular tweet ever, and I have no idea how that happened. That's fantastic. <laughs> I wonder who, like, the catalyst for that was. Like, who was the person who saw it and I set was, off? I was looking through the re- I was looking through the retweets to find, like, is there anybody with, like, thousands of followers that retweet? And nobody, there's, like, nobody that stood out. So I have no idea how it happened. That happened to me recently when I had the tweet about how it was Joss Whedon talking about his take on Batgirl. And oh. I just literally just, it was a screenshot of, like, his quote. And I was like, like, unsurprisingly, Joss Whedon's take on Batgirl fucking sucks. And then, like, like 400, like, it was so close to being 420 retweets. Oh, man. And stopped at, like, that would have been sweet. I stopped at, like, 411, and it was, I was more mad about that. You should have had all problem. of us at Multiversity retweet it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this is important, please. So then you, you got... can go find that, retweet it. I'll do it right now. So then you got, you, you got, you probably got, like, a bunch of Whedon fans. Oh, yeah. Real, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Was it, it was it was dumb. Basically, guys, this issue sucked. Yeah, guys, like this is a bunch of pages. Like I'm assuming twenty something pages, where there's one big panel of someone standing there looking menacing, 
a couple of small panels of close-ups and then dialogue where nothing happens. There's the, it's the every page is like the same rotating like just fucking like sprinkles of dialogue where it's like what does it mean to be a hero why is bruce so sad all the time is he scared is he ins-? and i'm like fucking do something <laughs> i think you've nailed it and not only that but the, but he continues to do the thing where like characters repeat variations of what one another are saying so like this conversation that he's having with gotham girl is like circular in a way that it's like the Ouroboros of like comic book fuckery, mm. um, just eating it's like, its own tail. It's like a parody of a bad Bendis written Batman comic. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, that's an excellent analysis of this. Like you can tell what the entire issue is going to be from like the dialogue of the first couple pages, and then it just repeats the same, like like not the exact same dialogue, but every kind of back and forth is accomplishing the same thing ad nauseum. Like and it's like the worst part of it, like it's it's bad at being a comic because the <laughs> art in this issue doesn't matter. Nothing is accomplished by the art because you you get half of the issue is Batman and Gotham Girl just kind of standing around not doing anything. Like the most Clay Man gets to do is kind of um, make Gotham Girl have some kind of personality, while Batman just stands there stoically, and then. <laughs> David Finch is just doing these, this like barely connected chase sequence, I guess, with Batman and Catwoman that like amounts to like the scene at the end where, you know, he undercuts this, I guess, emotional moment with Selena's just like suction cup tits into her costume. <laughs> it's the most distracting thing because it's like behind it is the bat signal. So her Hold tits on. are like, oh. I, I, I have to give my professional opinion on this. So. <laughs> well, go to that last page. Those are the biggest boob socks I've ever seen. It was the most distracting thing in the world. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's also like, this is a weird nitpick and I know people are going to like hate me for this. But two pages before that, when Bruce is taking off the cowl, mm-hmm. one panel, he's lifting it from the back as if it's like a hat, as if it's like <laughs> a hat. And then the panel underneath it, it's like hanging behind him. Holy that shit. doesn't make sense. That makes no sense. You're right. That like, as soon as I noticed that, I was like, this is, it was like, there was all these little moments adding up to piss me off about this issue. Wow. I'm heated. I'm <laughs> I, I I will say one thing that I, I'm not going to call it a defense of the issue. I'm not, I'm, but I I think that this is um, worth mentioning. Which is that Alice, you didn't read the button, did you? No. Okay. Uh, one of the big takeaways of the button was that uh, like Thomas, the Flashpoint Batman, tells Bruce like. Don't be Batman anymore. Live your life. Be normal. Be happy. Don't be Batman anymore. And That's the most boring Batman plot point you could have come up with. Yeah, but I, I'm not disagreeing with that. What I will say is I firmly expected Tom King to just ignore that because that was part of the Josh Williamson written okay. element. And he's actually kind of following up on that where Bruce is saying, like, well, maybe there is more to life than just being Batman. And I'm not saying it's well done. I'm just happy that there seems to be some continuity threaded through there. 
because I I firmly That's expected fair. that to just be ignored. Again, I'm I'm not it's, it's not a it's not in praise of the issue. It's just uh, you know, at least it's something. Because I yeah, felt I, guess, this, this, I felt this Tom King book has been incredibly disconnected from the rest of Rebirth. So at least this is some sort of connection there. And I like the one thing I'm kind of surprised at, and I will give it props for, is the Gotham Girl scenes are done in the day in really bright light, and Clayman makes it work having Batman in the middle of the day and not look like a dafty and is dumb wee <laughs> in bat costume. He actually makes those scenes work and he still feels as he still has as much presence. Like I feel like Clayman would be a better fit on this book than uh, David Finch's. Oh, being... absolutely. David Finch has lost a lot. Any he, he was never my favorite bat artist, but I feel like the last couple of arcs of this book have really made me not not enjoy his art at all on this book. So, wouldn't bother me if Clayman was the new bat artist. Clayman and Michael Janin are uh, are sharing duties. I'm happy with that book, visually at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what about that final moment? It sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's harsh. it's it's harsh but more yeah <laughs> and yes. like i liked hush for the most part i feel like that's like a weird defense i know a lot of people didn't like it um i like that series i like jeff Loeb's batman work a lot but this feels this feels like a really this feels marvel-esque this feels like a really empty attempt to be like please read batman someone <laughs> please read batman again we're, we'll do this huge thing where we tell you this the the end of the issue before it comes out, just so you know that Bruce asks Selena to marry him, and we probably will forget about it ten issues later <laughs> and we quietly retcon it out of existence. But someone please read Batman again. Yeah. I don't think Batman's hurting for readers either, which makes that... Re- no, but I feel like it's not part of the conversation. But because it sucks. <laughs> but yeah. That's what, like, I feel like they're doing this in an attempt to get people to talking about Batman again more than, you know, specifically buying or reading it. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, and um, I feel like DC is like... Think... Oh, go ahead, oh, Alice. No, you keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel as though, like, DC... This is This is where you start to see traces of DC, like... You know, we 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 all kind. I think most people kind of wanted a mix of what Rebirth promised with with what DCU promised, and now I and and now I feel like the feedback from DC Rebirth has been so strong that now now because you know everyone wanted Superman to be married again, now everyone's gonna get married or like everyone's gonna get paired up. They mentioned that in Aquaman as well. Like, yeah, somehow. Uh, Arthur and Mira were still like not married left over from the new 52 and they're only just starting to get married I guess yeah it's yep. weird but yeah I was going to say I still feel like y'all were lying to me about Tom King before <laughs> I, I don't know what you know yeah because I, like, I still haven't gotten around to Omega Man or Vision yet but like this is this is making me not want to Omega Man is quite good and I know Vince doesn't like Division. I like Division, yeah. um, but it's, it's too try hard for me. Like, yeah, that's what this feels like, honestly. Oh, this it, is it's, completely. It's, it's yes. trying very hard to be like an iconic bat book, 
Like it wants. I feel like it's the curse of trying to follow up something as praised as Scott Snyder's run writing Batman is trying to match that and consciously trying to match that is undercutting actually telling the story. Because how much has actually happened? Like, what's this? This is issue 24. How much has actually happened in Batman since the start of Rebirth? Hardly anything. Like, Bane showed up and there's this whole stuff. I'm surprised Gotham Girl's still in this book. Me too. I kind of forgot about her for a while. We all did. Bane has Bane has basically had two separate arcs. Yes. Like there were two arcs there were two full arcs back to back that one was I am suicide and the other was mm-hmm. I am Bane. I am Bane. Yeah. But they they both had to do with Bane. So like that was like that was like eight to ten issues or something <laughs> crazy like that. And and so like nothing has happened. You're right. See, we used to joke on the show because Tom King had said in an interview that if you if you like want to know about this run everything will be revealed in issue 22. So we kept joking about like what could happen in issue 22 that would really that would reveal everything, right? And I was thinking about this earlier today. In issue 22 is when Flashpoint Batman tells him like you shouldn't be Batman anymore. And so if you look at the whole series as leading up to Bruce for the first time, it seems, in this continuity, really questioning whether or not he should be Batman or not. That's, like, I guess that's the through line through the whole series. But that doesn't mean anything happened. Yeah. That's also my least favorite Batman gimmick. And it's something that comes back to, like, the, what was, the Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises, the Nolan movie. Man, if you talk about this, somebody on Multiverse is going to be very, very <laughs> mad who's been who's been commenting on our last post. So, just warning All I'm gonna you. Say is, Dark Knight Rises is a Batman movie where Batman doesn't want to be Batman anymore. And that's what this comic feels like. It's a Batman comic where Batman doesn't want to be Batman anymore. And that's the least interesting version of Batman because I don't read the Batman for him to not want to be Batman. Batman. You are echoing everything I have felt and said, and I've taken some flack for it recently. So I'm glad you're here to take to, to be my uh, bulletproof vest here, Alice. Thank you. Uh, but no, I agree with you. I, I feel like this is taking the core conceit of Batman which is that there's that Bruce Wayne is almost more Batman than Bruce and that's again a boring way to say it but you all understand what I'm saying like being Batman is the most important thing to him it's more important than anything and i think that the interesting Batman stories are when that rubs up against something that also matters like i think death of the family was not that great of a of a Scott Snyder bat book but the idea of like Batman putting his family second in pursuit of something else is at least an interesting way to deal with the fact that Batman is the most important thing in Bruce's life. So him yeah. putting that to the side just doesn't appeal to me at all. I actually liked Death of the Family a whole lot. I know that's like a vaguely controversial opinion, and I feel like that was... I feel like people were harsh in that because they had a lot of expectations because of what that title implied. But when you think about the idea of it being the death of the Bat family as a concept and them losing trust in Bruce, that was really interesting to me. It was never really followed up much, but I I really liked that event. I actually need, I, I was thinking about this the other day, I need to go back and reread almost all of Snyder's Bat run because mm-hmm. I feel like Death of the Family, that was the second big 
arc. I want to say this started with Batman number 13, if I'm not mistaken, in the New 52. So that was like a year yeah. after it launched. And that was the worst part of the New 52. That's when yeah. they were canceling, like, you know, a ton of books and trying a bunch of books that didn't stick. And that's when Scott Lobdell was writing every other book. So I feel like in my mind, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's roped in with some not great stuff. So I should go back and reread yeah, that. Yeah, I can. That's fair. I, I like it was after that that I, I lost touch with Scott Snyder's Batman stuff. That was like I lost touch after Zero Year when it went into what was the Super what Heavy? Was the, no, the one before that where it started off like it brought the Joker back. Yeah, it was the, it was like the uh, End Game. Yeah. Was that oh, what, no. Was that, what that was, that was kind of where I lost touch with it. Yeah. It was about I think it was around the time that uh No, it wouldn't have been around the time Batman v Superman was coming out. I I don't know what time is anymore. <laughs> That's right. It's very very late in Scotland right now. Yeah. So, but let's 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 move on uh to a book that I skimmed and I'm guessing no one else even bothered with and that's Cyborg number 13. Alice, can I presume you didn't read this? I did read this. Why? I I actually quite like this. Really? But I should say, I like this in a very schlocky way. <laughs> Everything in this book is incredibly arch. Every character wears... Like, every character speaks in some kind of exposition, either about the plot or about what they're doing or feeling. There's, there's a lot of fucking dialogue in this. The villain shows up <laughs> and has a four, like, uh speech bubble like <laughs> speech about his sword cutting through time it's really dumb and i kind of loved it like, wow all, all of the things that i love about it are things that i should hate about it but there's some kind of weird charm to it i don't get it there's a character called black narcissus <laughs> yes there it's, is it's I can't believe no one told me about this. <laughs> and there's a character called Firewire with a Y for the two eyes. Firewire with a sword that cuts through time. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> yeah, the thing about this book is that, like, that feeling diminishes the more you read it. So yes. I think, oh, like, yeah. We... I'm never reading another issue of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never, but th this one issue where I'm like, oh, this is what Cyborg's been like. This is kind of fun. Kind of is the is the operative uh, yeah. thing there. You know, it's it's funny that Vince was hyped on this book when it first came out because it promised to be about the singularity, and it hasn't at all. And then this issue, the last words in it are "Welcome to the singularity." <laughs> so, uh, Vince, you're back in. I'm back in, baby. <laughs> it's good again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This is uh, I just don't. There, there's a couple of things in comics that really bug me, and one of them is when there's just so much dialogue that it begins to take over the artwork. Yeah, and this issue is certainly guilty of that. It's, oh my god, there's 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 a bit where Black Narcissus like flies away and has like an entire um, panel to herself where she explains like twenty things to the reader. Yeah. About like, oh, I need to go over here, and also my comms are down, and also I need to find Cyborg for some reason, and also this, and also that, and I'm like, Jesus, like, like I feel like, like comics have had the problem with decompression since like the early 2000s. This is like too compressed. Yeah. This needs to chill. <laughs> this needs to like space things out, 
just a little bit over the issue. Now, I will fully admit that I skimmed 80% of the dialogue in this issue because I'm just done with this book. But how can Cyborg's human friend breathe in space? Is that you are always the one that brings that up. I'm obsessed with this. DC does this all the time where every now and then people are just in space and their heads don't explode. I don't understand I it. Didn't... Yeah, I guess it is space. I was reading it as some kind of like microverse kind of thing because of how colorful it was. But yeah, I guess that is space. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, see? And a lot... Who is the human friend? Because I'm like, I don't watch Arrow, but I know that you do. And I feel like the human friend looks like the Mr. Terrific guy's, like, not Mr. Terrific outfit. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, he is Mr. Terrific now, by the way. He's he's firmly Mr. Okay. Terrific, uh, just FYI. No, Doesn't there... he go from, like, corn, like an afro to a cornrows? Yes, he does, with... instantly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. his greatest superpower, is an instant cornrows. <laughs> um... But he, this looks like his, like, afro and hoodie look. And I, I wasn't sure if this was supposed to be. Oh, not that, Terrific. not that human friend. I'm talking about his scientist human friend, not his, not his like, uh, his like tough kid on the streets friend. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. There, <laughs> there, okay. there, there's a like, number of of of, uh, of underdeveloped characters in this book to keep track of. Yeah, because that the guy with glasses and afro, I don't think ever got a name during this entire issue. So his whole thing is like he is. He's a he's just a Detroit kid who Cyborg like takes a shine to and who helps Cyborg out every now and then, but he's constantly just being like this technology's crazy, like every other page. Um, yeah, this is not a good comic. Although I, I I am delighted that you enjoyed it, Alice. I mean, I had fun with it, but I feel like I had fun with it because it's not a good comic, and because you never have to read it again. <laughs> oh yeah, this is. Like as soon as I delete this off my iPad, it's gone forever. Can we can we talk about how if this was the New Fifty Two, this book would have been canceled several issues ago? Oh, like six 100%. issues ago. Yes. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. I mean, on on the one hand, it bodes well for books that aren't this bad and sell this poorly. So like, you know, maybe a book that's actually good but doesn't have a lot of readers could could have a chance. But on the other hand, it's like. There's probably a reason no one's reading this one. Right. Well, it went from There's... it went from twice monthly to just monthly. Yeah, yeah. There are so many rebirth books that are still around that I'm surprised they're still around. Is Blue Beetle still going? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. how? How? I, I don't. I don't know. It's dreadful. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there is a very clear hierarchy in Rebirth where there's like the six or seven books that almost everybody agrees are the best. And there's six or seven books everybody agrees are the worst. And then everything else kind of floats in the middle there. Whereas in the New 52, I feel like it was way more... If those books were considered bad, they were gone. Yeah. Unless they sold well for some reason. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's an excellent point, Vince. Um, that brings us to Deathstroke number 20, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Larry Hama and Carlo Pagulion. Um, Alice, did this book totally, like, were you lost in this book? Because this is dropping you right in the middle. This is not a good first issue to read. No, it's not. I have, I have two kind of main takeaways from this issue. Okay. Um, the first is, the first was that this is not a good first issue for anyone to start on. Correct. Like... 
the set no okay the first one was actually why does Deathstroke look like young hot Colonel Sanders <laughs> <laughs> you told me well, this was know. a good comic but this guy's running around looking like young hot Colonel Sanders and the I white suit is new I'll give you that okay. it's it's new it, to this issue <laughs> that threw me the other thing is like boy everyone in this comic sure loves Jesus well <laughs> that that again that, is a very that, new that, development. That's a new angle, yeah. <laughs> that's, that is a new, yes. This felt like the comic version of a television evangelist. <laughs> Interesting, okay. Like, so I could tell that it was a good book. Like, I can tell that the storytelling here is really good and that the the structure that Priest uh, employs in his writing and the kind of scene construction and the little... Um, like black panels with the the like almost like title cards. Yeah, yeah, are really interesting, and I could tell that, you know, he's developed in his writing like a lot of cool stuff here. But I could also be like, what the f- guys? What the fuck has been going on in this comic? Why is like not Solomon Grundy the villain here? <laughs> <laughs> that was also a newer. Yeah, you're picking up on like all the brand new stuff in this issue. Because that that felt really weird. Because it felt like. Like, most of the beginning is, like, a flashback, but it also felt like a recap. Like, well, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell if this was, like, new information in the book or if it was, like, this weird extended recap of stuff that you guys would already know having read it. Well, here's what's interesting about this particular issue. This is the bridge between the first year of the book and the second mm-hmm. year of the book. So, in, on one hand, there is a lot of recap because it is sort of closing the book on what has happened over the past 19 issues. On the other hand, though, it's setting up this Dark Titans, which is the second big like theme of the book going forward for next year. And so I feel like this is the worst possible place for anyone to pop in. But I will say this, Priest's book, like there were, especially early on, the three of us would keep saying, like, we don't know if we're smart enough to fully appreciate this book. That there's right. a lot happening. It's a dense book, and it's only over time that you begin to really put together, like, how those title cards kind of play into everything. And you sort of start to see, like, you got a very weird interlude here with Rose Wilson, where, yeah. she, where like, her head's cracked open, and you, you find, find out that Jericho did it, and... You know, you you get the you get... her brother. If I remember, is yes. That, I I know very little about Deathstroke's actual whole situation. My main exposure to Deathstroke was as the villain of the Teen Titans comic. Okay, and uh, not comic cartoon. Okay, yeah. Um. So like his kids has always been like this weird gray area where, like, I know that he has kids and that roses sometimes. Like basically, like mini girl Deathstroke, as far as I know. Yes. Um, but other than that, like his mute son. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Like that was a thing, and I'm not entirely sure what was going on there. Okay, so I'm gonna try and give you a not boring, very quick recap on Deathstroke's family because it is important to talk about this issue. So okay. Deathstroke has three kids: Grant, um. Rose and uh, Jer- Joseph Jericho, um, and Grant dies. Like I want to say, in original continuity, he died in like eighty one or eighty two, and okay. 
So the whole book that just happened, the Lazarus contract, the crossover, was all about Slade stealing power from the Speed Force to go back in time and stop Grant's death. And he, Lazarus. Yes. Well, it's actually okay. not. It, that's you would think that it's not. Oh. That, that, that is a reference to something else in the book, which is interesting because okay. you kind of think it's going to be that, but it's not. Um, yeah. But so he fails at that. And as he fails at that, he quits being Deathstroke. Now, also, he has Rose and uh, Joseph. And Joseph's, at least in the old kind of day, I forget how it's been established here, but uh, essentially somebody there's uh, somebody breaks into Slade's house and is holding Joseph hostage with a knife to his throat. And Slade's wife is like, you know, give him whatever he wants. And Slade says no and kills the guy. But before he dies, he, slit, he slits uh, Joseph's throat and renders him mute. And so that's sort of like the okay. last straw in Deathstroke's marriage is his wife basically says, fuck you, you destroyed our son. Like, yeah, you that'll, know, that'll do it. That will that'll do it, do absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but Jericho is one of the most interesting characters in the original Wolfman Perez New Teen Titans run. Okay. Uh, his power is absolutely fascinating where, like, if he locks eyes with you, he can take over your body. Oh, okay. And so there's amazing scenes of like people not knowing who he is, and they look at him, and then all of a sudden they're punching themselves in the face because he has taken <laughs> over their body. So uh, it's, a, it's a really cool, really interesting power. But anyway, so uh, I don't want to go through the entire first year of Deathstroke here, but what you have yeah. to know sort of here is that, that Slade has decided, because he's seen the Speed Forces, he puts it he's seen God. Like, And he doesn't mean Christ, he just means like, He's seen the universe, whatever, and he yeah. is trying to reform. Now, did you recognize the young African American girl here? Uh, that's the like new fifty two power girl. Yes. Right? She has okay. been an important uh supporting character in this book for a little okay. bit. Which again is like a really weird character for priests to dig up. But very There's cool. A really weird panel transition that I want to point out with her. Um it's during her like visit to the the doctor. I guess it's like the OBGYN. Yeah. Um the bottom two panels of that page she goes from like like holding her head and talking and then all of a sudden has paper in her hands and glasses on and i'm not sure what happened in between those panels <laughs> that's a it was a really weird transition that stood out to me because i kept going back to it and i'm like is there i feel like i'm missing something there <laughs> right yeah i feel like if you took out the uh the the word balloons you could have some fun with uh, some memes there for sure oh yeah <laughs> whatever's on that paper <laughs> yeah exactly um, but so like, you know, and also, uh, Slade killed her dog. So that's, that's why he's bringing her a new okay. dog. Cause Slade killed her dog. Uh, one of the okay. best things about this book has been how much of a bastard Slade has been, but he's never been like, you can kind of tell, like, even I could tell, like no one likes him. Yeah. No yeah. one likes him. Like, it doesn't even seem like he likes him. Oh, he hates him. Like that's kind of the best part of the writing is like that kind of weird sense that, the story's about a character that everyone, including himself, hates, and that permeates through the entire issue. Regardless, like, I barely knew what was going on. Like, I could <laughs> barely follow some of the scenes. Like, I knew, like, the construction of the scene, like, pretty much everything that wasn't to do with whoever the bad guy is. Uh -huh. Who I, I feel like I picked up, like, that was, like, Jericho's ex-boyfriend, possibly? Yes, yes. Okay, I feel like I kind of picked that up because they're a phone conversation, but I don't know what the fuck happened to him. So he was, like, critically injured and was given experimental drugs to heal himself. Okay. And this is what happens. You turn into Solomon Grundy. Yeah, essentially. Okay. I believe he was born on a Monday, so that's cool. <laughs> 
Uh, Vince, what did you think of this issue? Um, yeah, I, I liked it. It was the same same old Deathstroke, I think. With but you guys are right. Um, it, it's a lot of it's new um, new uh, a lot of new developments in the plot, you know. Um, and uh, the one th- the one question I had was for this Dark Titans team. Um, was that who who is that with like the gray wisp of hair? I is believe that's supposed to be Terra, who I we haven't met in Rebirth yet. We haven't? Okay, because no. Terra, Terra's traditionally blonde, am I right? Yes. That, yeah, she, right. she looks like Rogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, but Rogue is on this team, too. I that's know we've wild. seen in the solicits that the team is his two kids, Power Girl, Kid Flash, and Terra. Yeah, and if you look at that cover, though, Terra's blonde, isn't isn't she? I don't, I don't have the cover in front of me. Uh, uh twenty one. She is absolutely blonde. Oh, that could be somebody else then. So I'm wondering. I th- then I thought, like, well, is that Adeline? Is that Slade's wife? Oh, I don't think so. But that's interesting. I, I didn't think so either. But I couldn't figure out who the hell that was. So I don't know if it was. Maybe it's an art mistake or something. It could be. Yeah. Maybe that's a wig on Tara or something. But right. Yeah. I who who knows? I don't know. Anyway, I was a little I was a little lost there, but otherwise, fine issue. Yeah, um, Alice, I- this, this is one. This is one where um, I don't know if you've heard us say this before, but when we were reading like the first twelve issues or so, uh, Zach and I kept commenting that this is essentially it's essentially Metal Gear Solid the comic. Yeah, but, but it's not anymore. But like early on, it like really that that itself. was the the one thing that I was interested in like checking out or at least when I go back to read the rest of it because like from this issue I know I want to go back and read the rest of it mm-hmm. like I'm intrigued uh more than lost um that was like I was slightly disappointed that that didn't kind of crop up like I can kind of see it from the kind of like weird off-kilter scene construction and like yeah. just the way it's structured it doesn't read like it doesn't read like a superhero book no. right like you can kind of tell that immediately um but it's it's weird. It's wild. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. But I I will say this. I feel like if you can if you give it the old college try, you will really really enjoy it. There's a lot to love about this book. I mean, I, I'm sure there is. Um, like most of the fact that I haven't read like Rebirth stuff is because I just haven't had time to read anything what outside of what I'm currently reading. Right, which is a bunch of Star Wars comics. <laughs> Yeah, those those are so good. Pretty pretty much across the board, though. I I can't. Play oh no, anything. I'm reading the old Dark Horse stuff. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> so there's some less good stuff there. Yeah, that stuff is spotty. Tune in to the next episode of the Force Ghost Coast to Coast for yeah. more thoughts on those comments. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let, let's jump over to Green Arrow then. Green Arrow number twenty four, written by Benjamin Percy, illustrated by Juan Ferreira. Um, this is another book, Alice, where I feel like a lot happens, but if you don't know what's going on, it might be a little bit confusing. Uh, I feel like I kind of got the gist of it. I feel like even though like this is the, the final issue of an arc, right? Or kind of close More or enough. less, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I kind of got most of it. A lot of it's uh, kind of self-explanatory. Like You can kind of get that like the way characters kind of explain things to each other is done in a way that feels naturally like 
hey, this is the shit that went down. This is the repercussions, and this is why. Like, like even though I was, like, I didn't know what was leading up to it, I could kind of get the idea of there was some conspiracy with the queens, and is this Seattle? Like, yes, it is. Th- that was the one thing that kind of confused me. Are they turning Seattle into Star City? I believe that, like, so, their- yes. <laughs> that's, that's weird, but um, the one thing I didn't know is who the guy in the mask and the, like, weird basement, like, tomb thing is. Like I could get kind of get that he was a villain, but I didn't know specifically who. You want to say that the Vince? guy, the guy that gets set on fire for, <laughs> for more context. Yeah, isn't that wasn't it the um, the guy who's running Queen Industries now? Yes. Yeah, I forget his name. Uh, Bro- something Broderick or Broderick something. Yeah, and he's like a uh, a mentor of Ollie's. Okay. Established in this run, not like a long time mentor, yeah. like you know somebody who was just brought up here. Um, but it's but it's their 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 relationships kind of like you can kind of get that sense of that there's something going on there and why they're they have that confrontation. I just didn't know the kind of intricacies of who specifically that was. Right, Vince, what do you think of this issue? Um, it was it was fine, but I think we've been talking about how this this arc isn't quite hitting the heights that earlier ones have. And I, I, I'm still feeling that, although I did like the end when Ollie revealed himself. It was kind of Iron Man, you know, but, like, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's fine. It's it's a fine comic. The art's nice. Yeah. Juan uh, Ferreira is doing really nice work here. Um, Definitely. But I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I feel like Ollie is at his best when he is standing for something. And I think so yeah. much of the problem with the more recent... Green Arrow, Green Arrow comics is that he just isn't standing for anything anymore. Not not this run, but I feel like a lot of the New Fifty Two stuff, he didn't have that like moral center that I think makes Ollie interesting. So seeing him here decide like this is it's more important for me to be, you know, a, a good a good citizen, representative of my family, than to necessarily stay out of jail. I think that's a good that's a good development for the character. So yeah, and Juan Ferreira, that guy is good. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised at how well um, his art takes to this kind of superhero stuff. Um, because like I know his work mostly from Colder, right? Which, which is... is like this pure horror book. Yeah. But he he does some really good action. There's a really great beat um, with the fight in the park where Carnery like screams through the big guy's head. Yeah. <laughs> like that was really fun. I have like my one gripe with this is that so what's Roy Harper's code name right now? He's back to being Arsenal. Arsenal. That's a garbage-ass costume. Yes, it is. It's terrible. That's, is that because of Red Hood and Outlaws? More or less, yes. Because the whole baseball cap thing needs to go away. Oh, it's bad. Oh, I need that uh, I need that to stop. Brian, tell Alice about the uh, thing with Roy from a couple weeks ago in his baseball cap. I don't remember, remember now. No. Okay, Alice. Uh, Roy was sitting at a computer and next to the keyboard that he was typing on yes. was a baseball cap and on his head was also a baseball cap. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the room I'm sitting in right now has multiple baseball caps in it, but that's, you know. Yeah, but but do you have one on your head and one right next to no, your I hand? Don't. As, as if you just that's, took that's it off baseball. to do some typing? No, I don't. Um, he's he's going to show up in one of these issues and he's going to have like five of them on his head and no one's going to say anything. Caps for sale. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to Green Lanterns, number 24. 
Written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by uh, Carlo Barberi. Uh, this is the sort of the last bit of this arc where Jessica and Simon are being trained on... Um, I'm drawing a blank on the... On Mogo. Couldn't think of that for a second. Uh, but yeah, last time we talked about this, we talked about how we liked the the Simon Baz stuff and we didn't like the... Uh, Jessica Cruz stuff. Vince, you still in the same ballpark there? Um, I, I, I think I, I thought I said the only stuff I didn't really care for was the, uh, uh, stuff with Rami. Yeah, with the with I, I, the I, Guardians. I, yeah, I pretty much like everything else that's going on in this. I'm not interested with the with what's going on with the Guardians at all, but like, I'm actually charmed by their training process and they brought back like all the lanterns sitting around for a drink, which is something that used to happen all the time. That's true. Like back at, back in the old green lantern core. And like, this really felt like for the first time in a while, this felt like a actually like a, like a, like a green lantern core that is in operation and is actually like training and, and doing things with its members. And so I, you know, I went from hating this book to these last couple issues have kind of won me over. I, I don't know. It, it might turn out to just be a fluke, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like this. I like the art too. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not super style. familiar with Barbary's work, but I liked it. Uh, Alice, what'd you think of this issue? I was really surprised that this was the the final issue of an arc because it really doesn't read like it. It reads almost like some kind of interlude issue. Um, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. I really, so not to like jump around a lot, but I ended up reading this after this week's Justice League issue. Okay. And I feel like this tells a very similar story, at least specifically in terms of uh, Jessica's kind of, I guess, development. Um, but I feel like this does it a lot better, or at least in a way that I enjoyed a lot more. Um, I had a lot of fun. I also liked having... Because I didn't realize that some of like the older lanterns were in this. Like I was not expecting to see Carol Rain or Page One from like what I'd heard about this book, but I I really and, enjoyed that. Like, and Kyle's back to being just like a Green Lantern. He's no longer the White Lantern. Yeah, the fact that he has his like actual old weird layered mask from the nineties is great. No argument I here on that. I uh, Kyle Rayner is characteristically my favorite Green Lantern of all time. So. Like as soon as one of the many up, reasons like, why I like you so much. Yeah, I do try. Um, <laughs> as soon as he showed up, I was like, "Hell yeah, this is this is great!" And the fact that um, Jessica was sparring with Guy specifically, um, that was great. I really liked her moment of like regaining her willpower. Mm-hmm. I re- I really liked this issue. This was a lot of fun. Like I don't generally pay a lot of attention to the Green Lantern comics, and I I don't really know why because I really I usually enjoy it. I mean, like Hal showed up and was like. Hey, I I get to be the most important one here again. Remember <laughs> that I remember I'm the Green Lantern, and you kind of try to spill the spotlight. But like, it was kind of weird because they have this big splash of them reciting the oath, and that feels like the last page. And then there's like two more pages. Yeah, that was a kind of weird part of that. But like, yeah, I don't know what's happening with the White Martian stuff, but I I I like the rest of the issue. I feel like this issue does a better job of connecting the training to what was going on in the book beforehand, whereas last issue felt a little bit disconnected to that. 
Um, but it's interesting, Alice. You said this feels like a sort of a like a transitional issue. This is very much a transitional arc. Like this, okay. this book is up until the last couple of issues have only really had Jessica and Simon, and they, the rest of the lanterns did not show up. And so this is this is pretty new. But I think that this was sort of dealing with the idea that like there hadn't been any real training of Jessica as a lantern at all. Yeah, and so that- she was. Remind me, is she the she was power ring in like uh forever evil? Yes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she was well the power ring died and the and power ring's ring like glommed onto her and chose her. Okay. Even though she is like a, a she's presented as, as agoraphobic early on and so sort of has a mm-hmm. lot of anxiety issues. And so that's been an interesting development to see how she's you know, grown over the course of the of the run. This book has been very bad in parts, but this has been pretty good. This this stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I was going to say something there, but then I kind of forgot, and I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I'm losing it. No, yeah, it was so. I I was surprised at how much I like Baz in this, and I'm really glad that they've um kind of transitioned him past the idea of being the Green Lantern with a gun. <laughs> that was pretty much all I knew him was from was that kind of weird like he's what is he he's Muslim right yes if I remember yes but he also showed up and he's like carrying a gun around and I'm just like that's not great that's not great optics but I'm <laughs> I'm glad that reading this issue that he has like he has a sense of humor that I really enjoy uh-huh. yeah his characters developed nicely over the last year or so. This is like I'm. I feel like I'm getting other than like uh, maybe Bane and Batman. I like especially Deathstroke. I'm I'm getting a lot of like issues that are good to just jump in and kind of these snippets of like these are pretty good comics. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting because I feel like some of them are gonna let you down over the long haul. But this is a good week, so yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Vince, anything else to add? Not, nope, not for this one. All right, well, let's let's jump into uh, everyone's favorite segment. Hey, Vince, what happened to Harley Quinn this week? Oh boy. Um, so so as always, I didn't read the um, the upfront story. I re- I read the backup. Joker loves Harley, and or Harley loves Joker actually. Um, and so originally, the charm of this backup, for all of its faults was that it was the most like Batman the Animated Series that we've gotten out of a comic in a while. And particularly focusing on on Joker and Harley, obviously. And there, there's a lot that's problematic about their relationship, which, you know, Alice, I, I think you agree with this. It, you know, it's, it's kind of something that DC really needs to get past. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Because it's it's kind of it's very twisted at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. To use, to use one of they, our favorite Joker phrases. Yeah. It's kind of weird because they they want to branch her out into her own character, but have only ever defined her and her solo stuff as she used to be with the Joker. Yep. Yep. It was and one. Of, every, it was one of my biggest problems away. with her in Suicide Squad. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time she gets away, they draw her back in too. You know, mm-hmm. they'll go for they'll go for a few issues without mentioning him, and then all of a sudden it's back to Mister J. Um, but, but 
initially this backup, I, I found I did find it charming because because it leaned so much on that Batman the Animated Series, it it didn't portray their relationship as particularly screwed up, but like more like the animated series where it's it's more fun and it's kind of madcap and and it just it felt a little different. But the longer this goes on, the more that it kind of gets back to this annoying, like abusive um, where the Joker's clearly just using her for things and manipulating her. And, and now to see this with the art style that sort of mimics um, the Bruce Tim style, it's just not feeling quite right for me anymore to the point where I'm, I think I'm kind of done with this too. I had fun with it for a couple installments, but it's just not, they really do need to get past this. Um, if they want anyone to, well, I shouldn't say that because I'm sure plenty of people, I, uh, idealize this relationship for whatever weird twisted reasons. But, um, but yeah, I'm certainly not going to take it seriously as long as they keep bringing it back to this point. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I think Brian, I think I'm finally done with this segment. Wow. <laughs> I think we're, we, we're, we're retiring a bit. Yeah. yeah this is just all right. Yep. I know the fans clamor for it every other show, but um yeah, I think it's done. You'll be back. <laughs> are you saying I'm like Harley in this situation? You are. <laughs> oh, uh, oversexualized, underdeveloped, and uh <laughs> but darn cute. Oh, only good for the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. Um, the one thing that I find weird about Harley Quinn as a character, especially when they try and like uh, like get her in her own stuff, is so often it's one of the reasons why I haven't liked her stuff since they gave her her own title. Was was it uh, the DCU that uh, like Cameo in uh, Amanda Connor like took over? Was it that, was right was around there. That? I think it was yeah. a little before then. Because every like that run and it's clearly still going um but it's been super popular and i don't like it because it feels like dc's deadpool that's yeah. all i read it is it's dc's just, deadpool yeah and i i do not get the appeal honestly i i don't i feel like there's a lot of interesting things to do with harley quinn and not many people are doing them yes i agree yep who'd have thought the most interesting well-written harley quinn would be found in injustice 2 <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not believing you here. This we is, we read the first comic. couple issues last week, and she's okay. The comic, the comic. Okay, yeah, the comic, I'll give yeah. you that. Um, yeah, not the, game, the game. Not the game. I'm not. I will hear no good words about that game. <laughs> I haven't played it. I haven't played it either. I just still get mad about the first one because of every kind of Superman is evil garbage yeah. storyline. <laughs> I just get mad at. I, yep, with yep, good I'm, reason. I'm with you there. With good reason. Also, uh, all of the costumes are horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's front to my eyes. Did you see that Joker in Injustice Two and the oh, in the game? Terrible. Oh my yeah, god, yeah, I saw the so clip. bad. Yep. I'll say that that that's another thing that the comic does much better than the game. So, some of the designs are the same, but I also feel like some of them aren't even. I feel like some of them aren't even the same. So it's like. 
they didn't even really care to stick all that closely. Um, yeah, hor yeah, they they are horrid. I mean, I guess the graphics are technically impressive, but I like almost nothing about the design. Yeah, I don't understand why, like, if they're putting that much money into, like, a DC game with that many characters, they're giving it to the Mortal Kombat people. <laughs> like, it's, it's the weirdest decision to me. Yeah. Well, let's, let's shift over to Justice League number 22. This is a fill-in issue that is written by Shea Fontana and illustrated by Philippe Briones. His second work this week we've read. Because he was part of the Aquaman team, um, Vince, you had you had you had a hot take on this on Twitter. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what I said, but this is like fifty times better than any um, of the Brian Hitch issues. You said this was the best Justice League comic since their like recruitment party in the New Fifty Two. Yes, since that one issue that we always talk about. I think it was like Justice League. Nineteen or somewhere. It was right there. in that in that ballpark, yeah. Yeah, where like the like Jeff Johns was writing it, and I believe it was Jesus Saiz. I believe so. Uh, yes. On art, and it was a gorgeous issue, and it was a fun issue. They had like uh, they they opened up like Justice League auditions at the Watchtower or something, and. It was funny. It was like it, it was the first time that the New Fifty Two felt like it was opening up its world for like greater interaction and greater team dynamic. And then that isn't that when At Atomica joined, and I, then she I, betrayed I, them in Forever Evil. Yes, I believe so. It was right before Forever Evil, um, and then all that that good idea kind of went to shit. But um, but that that was a that was a really great issue that we still talk about to this day because of how fun it was. And I yes, I think that this is the best issue of, of a comic with Justice League in the title since that issue. This this was fun, and it it had a pretty generic villain. I mean, it was just this parasite that like it infests uh, certain members of the Justice League and kind of uh, contaminates the Watchtower, which isn't all that interesting of an idea. But um, I just thought it was refreshing that finally we got a Justice League issue where it didn't feel like the end of the world all the time. Yes. And I had a lot of fun with the way that she wrote some of the character dynamics, particularly um, Wonder Woman and Jessica. Um, and I loved uh, the stuff with John, like how he was fawning over all the different heroes and and trying to interact with them and you know having varying degrees of success with you know the various heroes but uh just tons of fun and 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 nice and light after after like 20 some issues of hitch's justice league which have all felt like apocalyptic nightmares like poor um, versions of wildstorm books yeah yep yep <laughs> yep this is this is really what i needed um i did like wonder woman saying to baz like I will participate in your cultural celebration, whatever, when he goes for a high five. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Uh, Alice, what did you think of this issue? Um, I enjoyed it for the most part. I feel like you can kind of tell that it was a fill-in issue. Yeah. Um, my biggest kind of complaint about it, and I want to tie it back to what we're talking about with Green Lantern. So the kind of core aspect of the the issue, or at least one of the major kind of the, the emotional arc of the issue is about Jessica and about how she wants to fit in with the Justice League, at least as far as I could read. Um, 
and that ties into how she gets infected with the parasite and she has to be isolated. But there, there never felt like an, a moment where she could like overcome anything. Like she just kind of like Baz seals her in a big like green jar with the rest <laughs> of the things. She like takes out the the queen that was biting her, and then everything is over. And then Wonder Woman kind of says hi to her, I guess. And then she's super like it felt weird. Like there was this there was supposed to be this moment where she she proves herself to the league and they accept her, and we get that reaction, but we don't get. Like there's the setup and the reaction, but you don't get the actual payoff with her. Like she never actually feels like she overcomes the parasite's control or anything like that. It just kind of solves itself, and that was kind of like <clears throat> I liked it. It just felt like a weird kind of third art, third act, uh, linchpin, I guess. I I will yeah, say that's, this. That's fair. I, I think that's very fair. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this or not, but I think one of the possible reasons for that is that so much of Jessica's character has been about just her freaking out and not being able to complete her task because of her anxiety. And mm-hmm. so to have her, like, stay relatively cool and collected during this time is okay. sort of a victory for the character to begin with. That makes sense. I feel like that was that was maybe, like, a context I was missing. Right. Um, they do mention that it's all about... They were, like, trying to get her to control herself, so I can kind of see what I would have been missing with that. I just felt like I was, I felt like I was missing something. I was expecting it to be her like overcoming something and proving herself to them, but that right. makes more sense. Yeah. And again, it, it probably could have been much, much uh, more explicitly handled. But... Yeah. Like I said, like, I enjoyed the issue a lot and it was like, like I agree with Vince. Um, I really liked what Brian Hitch did on GLA at the tail end of the New 52. I liked those issues, but I haven't read his Rebirth stuff. Um, but it was nice to see a Justice League that actually just gets to sit around and play video games. Because I, like, I feel like that gets so overlooked because there are these, they always go up against these huge threats that you never, like you see the Avengers sitting down to breakfast all the time, but you never actually get to see the downtime for the Justice League, or at least not for, not for like the last few years at least. Right. It was a nice issue. And I liked having I, I I missed having like Lois be part of Superman's world as much as Clark Kent. Yes. Yeah. I feel like as much as you guys didn't like Superman Reborn, I feel like being able to get like Lois Lane in an issue of Justice League where she's just palling around with the Justice League was that was a good get. Oh, I agree. And I, I think I think all of us are pro Superman Reborn in theory. We just had some issues with the practice. Jurgen. Oh. <laughs> uh, is this is this this is where you brought me on, so I have to defend the fact that I like. <laughs> I'm not going to press you there, Alice. I'm uh, that's. That's yeah, between you and the Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm glad someone's enjoying it. It's fun superhero comics. I like. I'm very easily pleased when it comes down to it. Like, there was just, like, when you just, I really like what he's doing with Lex Luthor. And I really like that arc where they were, like, trapped on the weird alien planet. Where, you know, Superman has to defend Lex Luthor from being executed. That was a good arc. I feel like a lot of the Jurgen stuff, I like the broad strokes, but I don't like the execution. And that's, with with that arc, I felt the same way. 
I feel like I enjoy it in the same way that I kind of like Cyborg, where I can tell that it's schlocky and it's not, you know, the the nuance isn't there. It's very broad and it's very arch, but there's a charm to it that I appreciate. Sure. That works. I realize we totally skipped over uh, The Fall and Rise of Captain Adam, number six, um, written by uh, Carrie Bates and Gary Weissman. Greg Weissman? I think it's Greg Weissman. I don't have my uh, notes here in front of me. Let's see. Where is it? Yeah, Carrie Bates and Greg Weissman, illustrated by the great Will Conrad. Um, Alice, did you bother with this one? Uh, I skimmed it, and I have one. I have one thing to ask. Okay, what's that? Why is Keith David in this comic? <laughs> what, 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 what what's happening there why is keith david in this comic i wish i knew like because that's 100 percent just someone drawing keith david yes specifically that, will conrad drawing keith david well yeah but like that was such it was like it's like one of those moments like brian hitch does that a lot where he very obviously uses like an actor as a reference yeah and it just came out of nowhere it was the only thing that stuck with me from that issue <laughs> uh, you're right Vince did you read it I can I tell you exactly what I did sure I didn't read a word of it <laughs> I I made a guess before I opened it up at what the la- very last page would be and I pretty much nailed it before I even opened the comic I said the very last page is going to be like the Justice League finding out about Captain Adam and then it's going to tease that, like, there might be more later. Which there flip, won't be. <laughs> flip, flip to the last page. Sure enough, there it was. Fuck this comic. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I, I, I will has, see. Has there been a good Captain Atom comic since the New 52? No. And I uh-huh. didn't even like that one. No, that was terrible. Um, But, but what I will say is this. I... I think it's it's interesting that DC has allotted this much time and capital to a character that ultimately only matters to DC because he inspired uh, Dr. Manhattan, and they've made him less Dr. Manhattan-y than he's been pretty much ever, and that all comes as a big surprise to me. Yeah. That's all I got. Do we think we'll ever see him in the pages of Justice League? At some point. I, I don't know if it'll have any connection to this, but those things go in cycles, you know? Yeah. I am I am ready for there to be a non... Uh, a, I understand that JLA is its own thing right now, but I'm ready for a non-Big 7 Justice League. That could be interesting. As yeah. long as it's not just another retread of, like, GLI, the Bwahaha stuff. Right, yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the non-Justice League, the, like, the non-Big 7 Justice League stuff gets, like, everyone wants to do their version of that. Right. When what would be more interesting is, like, again, kind of sacrilegious to say on the DC cast, but, like, the Justice League version of, like, New Avengers. Like, these weird kind of the characters that you don't expect to be on Justice League finally yeah. getting their their push. I actually had a cool idea recently, which was to do a Justice League International where it's essentially, you know, the JLI sometimes is, is pitched as like the UN's version of the Justice League. But yeah. the difference is that all the members of the team are all 
uh, representatives of their country and th their agenda is based on just their country. So like August General and Iron just cares about what's good for China. Black Adam just cares what's good for conduct. Like just just uh just like making it more political than other than uh it tends to be. But no one's paying me to write that, so let's move on. That brings us to Nightwing number 22 written by Tim Tim Seeley, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca. Um, so Alice, you start us off here. What did you think of this issue? Uh, this was pretty good. This was the beginning of an arc. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. This was interesting. It was, it did feel like a lot of setting things up for future stories, but it was interesting to see kind of what Nightwing's been up to. Like the last I'd heard about Nightwing in DC comics was like, around uh Grayson when okay. he was like a spy. So to see him feel like this felt like a very classic Nightwing story and like a lot of good ways. Um so I was I was I was pleased to see what felt like a a very classic Nightwing story. Even if it did feel somewhat like classic in a sense that it did kind of feel a little uh, like treading old ground, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Vince, what do you think? Yeah. Um. This was. This was okay. This was good. I mean, it's the beginning of this arc doesn't excite me. It's probably the least exciting beginning to an arc that Seely has drummed up yet. But I agree with Alice. I like all the different. I mean, he is quite literally treading treading old ground from pre-Flashpoint times, and um, and I'm still enjoying that. Like, I'm enjoying that this book has decided to take place in Bloodhaven, and I'm, I'm enjoying, like, the network that he's kind of building there. Uh, I'm, I've never been a huge blockbuster guy, and so... Neither have I. Yeah, yeah, so the villain the villain doesn't interest me, but everything else that's happening around this comic really is, so... Um, so, you know, it's good in the way that, that Seelie's Nightwing has been good. Um, just, I don't know how much that conflict is going to interest me unless, unless it takes a turn next issue, which is fine. I mean, I'm not going to love every, every, uh, issue of this, but, but it's good. Yeah. I, uh, I felt like this was, there was a lot of treading water in this issue as everybody else has talked about. But I think that there were a couple of nice moments. I really like... So, Alice, you probably aren't aware of this part because this is a pretty new development in the story. But so Nightwing, uh, or Dick rather, has been like leading a support group for ex-criminals in Bloodhaven. Okay. And so the folks that he's hanging out at the bar with are like people from his support group. Okay. And uh, it's been a really fun sort of development because I think that... Dick Grayson, at his heart, at his core, is just has such a big heart and is such a good person that it's a mm. lot of fun to see sort of how the how the book has been bringing him into this like very uh, therapeutic st status quo. It's been fun. So you know, this is a fine issue. It feels maybe a little bit slight, but I'm hoping that the arc picks up in the next issue. So yeah, I did. I loved the the artwork here, especially yes. the, like the artwork and the colors, like. It felt very sharp and very clean, and I loved how vibrant the blue in Nightwing's costume is. 
I love it when they do that when they like um is this kind of hyper realism to the colors like the blue feels really sharp and flat compared to how the rest of it's shaded just to make it stand out i love that yeah what's also probably hurting this particular issue is that it's following up one of the like an amazing nightwing arc uh is that, that the stuff that had dr hart in it yes i need to go read that yes yeah. it's dr hart yeah it was, it was pretty wild it really was yeah if you enjoyed this at all, you'll really enjoy that. Okay. So that's definitely the one thing that I I was kind of surprised by is Blockbuster just Bane. Like, <laughs> is that is he just is he just like big and beefy and takes drugs to become big and beefy? Like, yep. I think you pretty okay. much just nailed it. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Uh, that brings us to Shade the Changing Girl, number nine, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarconi. And uh, this issue had a lot of interesting bits about like nostalgia and what it means to be young and growing up. And I thought it was a really, really great issue. What did you guys think? I had no idea what the fuck was going on in this issue. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a hard thing to just jump into. This is my first issue. This is my first issue, not only of Shade the Changing Girl, but of any of the young animal stuff. Because really? I have... Yeah, I just I some I know I'm gonna like it. That's the thing. I know that I will love Doom Patrol. I know that I'll love um what's the one? Mother Panic? Something yeah, like that. You're gonna love like, Cave Carson as a segment of the Yeah, that's great. I know I'm gonna love it. I just I've been sleeping on it because I just haven't had the time to do it or to like get around to reading it. So this has been my first experience with Young Animal. And it rules, but it's just the weirdest, trippiest issue to try and break into. Yeah. And I, I would say that any young animal issue outside of the first issues to start is probably not yes. like any, any one of them. You're probably lost. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The, the thing that continues to impress me about this book is how much emotional weight it carries, no matter what the situation is. Like one thing that Cecil Castellucci is, I'm finding to be an expert at is to like, get me to care and actually feel stuff about uh, what this character is experiencing on, on earth as we kind of know it and like tethering that to, like you said, Brian, like nostalgia and like actual tangible ideas that humans deal with on a day-to-day basis and like getting me to really feel that in a comic that's absolutely trippy and impenetrable to somebody who hasn't been closely reading it from issue one, you right. know? Yeah. Um, that's the take home point for me. Like all that stuff about um, the band. And I forget the name of the band that she was going to the see. Sonic Booms. The Sonic, the Booms, Sonic yeah. Booms. Yep. Which is like, a good band name. That's a great band. Name. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, th- that whole thing where she goes to see him and it's not, you know, it's a reunion type show and it's not quite what she was expecting. And that like disappointment and sadness really. And then like determination to figure it all out really rang true to me. Um, in, in something of a abstract way in the way that like <clears throat> sci-fi or like uh, fantasy can sort of make those connections, you know, yeah. they're not quite yeah. real, but but they feel real enough and you understand what they're going for. Um, this book yeah. has been incredible at that. Not to be like 
the resident millennial or anything like that. But I, I knew that like like that whole stuff with like nostalgia and the band and the kind of reunions tour, like I, I could appreciate it, but I knew that that was probably something that Brian was gonna like more than <laughs> yeah. me, or like both of you were gonna like connect to more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I liked about it was this sort of um, like the exploration of the idea that there's a, there's a difference between like recapturing something that you loved versus recreating something that you loved. Yeah. And I feel like that was just very, very well handled. And, you know, Shade, I'm sure you're not really familiar, Alice, but so Shade is, she is this, uh, She's basically an alien that has taken over a comatose teenager's body. Okay. And so she is this, like, she's walking around Earth, but she talks like an alien because she's an alien, but she looks totally yeah. normal. And, that uh, I, I somewhat got. is Like, the <clears throat> the meta... Is it meta? Meta, yeah. Is her planet? Yeah, yes. I kind of... Like, there were some bits and pieces that I picked up, but, like, I could even... I could tell that even like you guys would be able to notice that this is trippy as hell. Oh, like, absolutely! Even if, yes. <laughs> even if like there's a certain level of trippiness that's like just like there's a level of tripping like impenetrableness that just permeates even if you've been reading since issue one. Yes, I kind of got that feeling that like okay, this isn't something that's meant to be crystal clear to even if you've been reading it. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, but I really love this issue. I thought it was great. Well, I, I didn't know... Like, I hadn't seen any of the interiors to Shade. I'd only seen the, the Becky cleaning covers. Mm -hmm. I love the interior art to this. It's yeah. very... I feel like this is uh, a possibly lazy comparison, but it's very Love and Rockets. Okay. Um, That kind of very... It's like simple line art, but really expressive, and the kind of... The really flat colors, the really, the really flat shading... Reminded me a lot of that. It reminded me a lot of um, uh, Four Kids Walking to Bank, the Tyler Ross's art on that as well. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of style, and it was really weird to see a DC cut. Like, I love what Animal, Young Anna was doing because it feels like almost like in universe vertical stuff. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I keep saying, and I don't think any of the artwork is really all that reminiscent of this person, but I feel like the artistic godfather of young animal is mike allred oh yeah there's just I, like yeah i can 100% see that there's a certain like uh just appreciation of pop culture mixed in with with like classic comic stuff with it with a little bit of humor in there so i, I think he's like he's the godfather of the art for this line yeah. and there's he's nobody there. better than that so he's on the the bug the yes is it bug yes yeah bug yes and he's doing an issue of doom patrol too oh nice so that'll be really fun i, I need to read doom patrol and i know i need to read doom patrol you do you i'm do. a bad person i no. have like <laughs> fucking i have the deluxe i have the omnibus of the invisibles and the, the deluxe edition of flexman hollow on my shelves and i haven't been reading doom patrol there's something <laughs> wrong with me we'll, we'll address that later don't worry Okay. <laughs> uh, that brings us over to Superman number twenty-four, written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson, illustrated by Doug, uh, Doug Monkey. And this is the, uh, I guess it's not quite the conclusion. Is there one more issue you think, Vince, of this arc? I have I no so. idea. Yeah, like it's, it reads like it. Yeah, it reads like there's at least one more issue. Um, Alice, are, are you at all a Manchester Black fan? Um, so I hadn't read, so I haven't picked up superman since the end of superman reborn i kind of like 
I read them in arcs as they come out, so I hadn't been reading this Black Dawn arc, mm -hmm. and none of y'all told me Manchester Black was in this comic, and I'm <laughs> mad about it, because I fucking love Manchester oh, do Black. Do you really? Okay, cool. <laughs> Action Comic 775 is one of... Was it 775? Uh, the Truth, Justice, and What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, his like, oh. original intro story, is one of yeah. my favorite Superman stories of all time. I love Manchester Black. Even though not like nobody who has written them can get a Manchester accent right, <laughs> I love him so much. Um. So having having said that, did this feel like Manchester Black to you? Yes, I think so. Okay. Um. I don't know if that's a leading question. Um, no, no. You know what it is? It's, I feel like it's a character that I have very little affinity for. Not not that I don't like the character. It's just a character that doesn't really stand out to me. So uh -huh. I couldn't tell you if this was a like a really good Manchester Black story or not. Um, I feel like so I haven't read much of like the kind of Justice League Elite or the the stories that he like spun into after that original Action Comics issue. But it feels like Gleason and Tomasu are huge fans of that issue. Yes, and the he's he's at he's got the kind of same core beliefs at least in this issue and is kind of acting on them which is that superman is ineffective at what he does because he is like because he is superman you know like superman's greatest power is his strength of character is his heart and manchester black is the opposite of that he is pure physical and mental power over everything he's he's the the kind of superhero who would stop a criminal by lobotomizing him on the spot you know right, like yeah. <laughs> he will never commit a crime again but there's such a dehumanizing element to that and i feel like i feel like they nailed that here um yeah i really like that like i feel like there was a lot of stuff i was missing about the the cob farm i wasn't sure what was going on with that or the the weird venom symbiote stuff <laughs> yeah. weird black dude that showed up um but i i love the fact that they're still tying it back to like when frankenstein showed up yes that was a really nice nod Vince, what do you think I of like, this issue? I like this yeah, this is just this is chugging along. Same, same, same good Superman that it's been. Uh, I like Manchester Black, but I, I agree. Uh, very few people seem to write him correctly, and I and I thought this was good. And I thought the Doug Monkey art. The the one thing that Doug Monkey's really really good at is drawing characters who are really like rough around the edges, mm -hmm. and I think like he he got the visual look of Manchester black, right. Too. Like he looks like a guy who like smokes all the time yeah. and uh, no offense to any of our smoker listeners out there, <laughs> but like, you know, like he's got like a, like a three pack a day habit or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I like, I thought that it was very menacing. I think one of the things we talked about last time we talked about Superman uh, when Lois lost her leg uh, was how like, the art kind of started out in this weird balance of like comedy and mystery and horror because it was like Batman, like uh, Damien came over for a sleepover and Batman was there and Lois was trying to give him pie and it started off very like demure and unassuming and then Lois lost her leg and all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, <laughs> this, arc, this arc means business now and and it's not letting up so. Um, yeah, it really ramped up, and it's still going, and 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 I'm I'm really digging it. Yeah, I um, 
I'm enjoying how much... To me, Superman is a book that reminds me of Aquaman a bit, in that it's one of the books where every arc just seems to build off the arc before it. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. And so what's been a lot of fun about it is just seeing how... Like, Tomasi and Gleason have taken these characters that obviously we all know and love and has just continued to add really interesting wrinkles to their supporting cast, to their home, and it's it's felt like one of the richest, most uh, exploratory Rebirth books so far, where it's just really been doing a nice job of giving us a wider, ver- a wider screen version of their life in Hamilton County. And this issue just continues to give a little more context to what that town looks like, to what to sort of the overall game plan. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to, like, speaking of, like, Doug Manx art, the second to last page is fantastic. The the first two panels where it's, like, this wide shot, this weird apocalyptic uh landscape and john's feet lifting on the ground and that like his posture of superman in that panel that like that reminds me a lot of like henry cavill's superman but in a good way where he has that presence of just like i'm gonna fuck you up now <laughs> like this is happening but it feels in character because it's linked to matches are back like just mind controlling his own son like that was a good moment of leading up to a oh shit superman's pissed now yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. And the, the, what's interesting about the the feet raising off the ground too, and I'm sure this is not intentional, but it also it just shows the uh, like it reminded me of a, of a, a shot in a film or a panel where someone's hanging themselves, where there's yeah. like, but it's a similar thing, right? It's like this person is not lifting up on their own for on their own free will, like they're hanging mm-hmm. they're hanging there for whatever reason. So, yeah, and more Frankenstein is always a good thing for me. Oh, for sure. So uh, that brings us to their final issue of the week, the Wonder Woman Steve Trevor special, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Christian Duce. And uh, Alice, you did not read this one, correct? I did not read this one because, um, as I said to you guys before we started recording, after seeing the Wonder Woman movie, I'm kind of good in Steve Trevor for the rest of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Vince, I, I, sorry, go ahead, Alice. Sorry. Um. So I missed... Uh, you guys last episode, I haven't got around to listen to it when you actually talked about Wonder Woman. But did you guys both enjoy that? Yes. I, yes, I we did. Brian did. I didn't a lot. Um I really did not enjoy that movie. So that's like where I'm coming from this, where I'm like, I'm good on Steve Trevor. I don't need to read about this motherfucker <laughs> after seeing that movie. Do do you want to do like a real quick because that would be nice because all three of us liked it. Brian the most. Um and then I couldn't really tell. I think Zach probably liked it a little more than me too. Mm-hmm. Although, although I didn't find much wrong with it. I had a few nitpicks, but you know, maybe it'll be good to have somebody who didn't like it. J- just if you want to do like a quick, quick rundown. Uh, I think it has a lot of the same problems that Zach Seiner's DC movies have had. That is being overshadowed by the fact that it's Wonder Woman. I think it has. I think it's far too long. I think it's as dreary as something like Man of Steel. Like, I don't get where, where people are saying, like, this is a great movie for kids. Like, this oh. is a harrowing-ass fucking oh, movie. I'm not bringing oh, my daughter hor- to see it. Yeah, it's horrible like, for kids. I, I, yeah. I, I, see, I see people saying that. And, like, Wonder Woman 
people are like, oh, Wonder Woman is such a good character for for young girls to see. And I'm like, if I saw a kid in this theater, I'd feel bad for them. Because like, there's an entire section of that movie where she's walking past like refugees in the front line who are suffering and dying. And she's basically told, no, don't do anything about it. Keep walking. And I'm like, like those are the moments where I just kind of went, no, stop this. And But don't, don't know, you feel just, like in a way the film was saying how much how bullshit that was yes i like i i appreciate that but like i also didn't so my my whole thing is uh it's hard it's hard to explain but even from like the kind of the first moment the idea of diana being super into like i'm gonna go fight the bad guys doesn't feel like wonder woman to me and it's a very it's one of those things where it's like it's the same reason why i kind of get up in arms about the DCU Superman, where it's this very personal connection to the character, where if it doesn't, like, if it just wavers slightly, it can really color my whole interpretation of it. Like, it's a fine movie. I think it's about a half hour too long. And I think the the twist, if you could call it a twist, uh-huh. was far too obvious. I, yeah. Did anyone get fooled by that? No one got fooled by that. I will, I will say, initially... Like by the time it happened, I was I was obviously on board with it, but I feel yeah. like I I had purposely avoided spoilers or any discussion about the movie at all, so mm-hmm. I had no idea that Ares was even going to be a thing. Okay. So I wasn't looking for it at all, you know. Um, like I feel like as soon as um the I don't know the actor's name, but the guy that was in Harry Potter, David um, Douglas. Yeah, as soon as he it was when he helped them in the bar. Yeah. I was like, there's yep. something up with this motherfucker. I was yep. like, I don't trust this. Um, but like, I just felt, I don't know, it felt very similar to Man of Steel and a lot of the similar problems. And I feel like people are giving it a pass because it's Wonder Woman. Um, and I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the need for just a Wonder Woman movie, even though if it's even though it's like, I'm not sitting here being like, you shouldn't like the Wonder Woman movie. I'm just saying that I didn't have fun with it as much as other people have. Yeah, I actually think that that all that is very valid. What I mm-hmm. will say, and I, I'm not trying to change your mind here. Don't mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Uh, I feel like what I, what I liked about it was I felt that Diana was observing the world, which is very much the world of like Batman v Superman and all those shit movies, and she was like her position was it could be better than this. And maybe that wasn't overt enough, but I think getting the impression that she was looking at the world and wanting to make it more like the mascara. Yeah, and I, I no, feel like... I, like I felt like yeah, no, like that was I feel like overt enough, and like like that's what the entire kind of climax of the movie is about. But it just I it's one of those things where I fundamentally disagree with the idea of setting it during World War One, and that from the moment it was announced colored my feelings in the movie right Uh like just the fact that it was set during a war and had like i don't like wonder woman running around with a sword and it's those weird it it sounds like like fan bullshit like these nitpicks but like when i was watching it it didn't it didn't feel like a wonder woman movie to me it was a fairly good action movie i can't fault it for that but it just didn't have that Wonder Woman spark for me. So, Alice, do you want to hear my pitch for how they should do the sequels? Uh, sure. So, I, the rumor is that they're going to do the new, the next one, rather, in contemporary times. Yeah. But I think that every, like, the, all the odd-numbered films 
should be set in the past. But the next one I want to see is early 70s white pantsuit spy Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh, I don't think Wonder Brothers would ever have the gall to do that. But that would be that would be more interesting than I think what they're actually going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, yeah, I just like... You, like, I can get where people are coming from, where, like, it does have, like, it's not as dour as, like, Batman v Superman, but just the fact that it still has to rub shoulders with that universe. Yeah. Just, I can't get into it. It's just not for me. That's that's kind of, I mean, ultimately, I really liked the movie, but I, I did kind of mention that last week, how, like, I, I, I said this was a good movie. I could see them building a franchise off of this movie the problem is is that we've already had three terrible movies including suicide squad yeah in in this universe that that muck it all up and and like it or not that does affect it didn't affect my enjoyment of this movie but it affected any hope that i have for anything surrounding this movie and um and the only other thing i'll say that i i said last week I one hundred percent agree with you about how it's this movie is doing a trying a lot of the same things that Snyder tries. The one thing I said last week that turned that on its head for me is that what Snyder did in Man of Steel and in BVS was pretend to raise all these like burning questions about what it means to be a superhero and what it means to be a god. And then had no Superman had no definitive answer for those, you know. Yeah. And, and anytime someone was like, "Well, is it is it really okay that a god is supposed to save us all?" The the answer for Superman should be yes. That's what I'm here for. But I mean, it, I feel like the answer for Superman should be I'm not a god. The, well, that's yeah. That's actually like, that's, that's yeah. where I disagree with Zack Snyder on Superman. Yes, that's a good. And you know what? I have always felt that whenever somebody in one of his movies says calls Superman a god, like Snyder just thinks it sounds so smart, like mm. like oh this is so we're calling him a god even though he's a, you know he's a superhero. That's how he seems like is that? he seems like a teenager who read Nietzsche for the first time. Yeah, and is just is just like fervently just like oh this is applying to all these superhero things, and I'm like as Zach buddy. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but then I, the, the thing that I appreciated about Wonder Woman was um, it raised some of those same questions about like, well, is humanity, does humanity have the capacity for evil on their own or is there some greater force driving them? And, you know, it, whose job is it to um, fix that or whatever? And, and the, the thing, if nothing else, that the movie does to establish that that is Wonder Woman to me is that her answer is always yes. And she is. And that saying that out loud now so, doesn't sound like a lot because compared to a Zack Snyder film, it's, it's not a lot, <laughs> but, but I was like, at least this movie has a point of view Yeah, that I can't say that any of Snyder's movies have. Well, they think fair. they think they do, but they, they, they never take a point of view. He is like he is like that um, freshman college student that's like thinking he's so smart, raising all these questions, but really has no point of view of his own. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's always bothered me. 
but yeah, I think I think your reasons for not liking the film are completely valid ones. Um and they they're yeah. also they're also very consistent with what you've said over the years about Wonder Woman 2 um mm-hmm. including like the Azarello and Chang run which yeah which movie, I yeah yeah that that inspired this one a lot like the 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 I think the moment that was like the main nail in the coffin was the oh Diana's Zeus's daughter yeah you know she's a demigod that's my least favorite thing to have ever happened to Wonder Woman is tying her because like her whole thing is she is born of no man's hand like mm-hmm. I know that people want to make fun of the born from clay thing and they reference it here but it's like it's a cover for like the real truth yeah. when there's there's a lot of okay I'm going to go on a weird diatribe about how I view Wonder Woman here. You can cut this out if you want. I cut nothing. To me, Wonder Woman is represented by the fact that, like, you have Hippolyta and you have the Amazons, and they're trapped from... They're they're secluded away in paradise from Ares, who is the living embodiment of war. And all they have really known is war, is conflict with Ares. And one of the things that I've always one of the things that I disliked about the movie is you have Diana born into the pa- this paradise, but all she wants to do is engage in this warfare. You know, like from when she's a kid, she wants to train to be a fighter. And uh-huh. that that's like the complete opposite of how I view her, which is basically to... Why why would she care about training? She, she's never going to know war. All she will ever know is paradise. Like she should be off in the hills somewhere enjoying life. Whereas I don't get why they have like they they basically flip how I would have done it, which is to have Hippolyta want her to train in case war returns to the island, and her being like, "Fucking, you're the you're talking about a hypothetical that might never happen," and that's kind of the where I'm coming from on saying like 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 I can accept alternate interpretations of Wonder Woman, obviously, but like the the fundamental core aspects of the cast character is that she is born into paradise of no man's hand and to go into man's world all she wants to bring is that paradise and i feel like in this movie they have some of that but she goes into man's world to kill you know she goes in to kill Ares. she kind of she brings more war with her and her quest to destroy Ares, and that bugged me a little um but this is just Again, it's, I guess that it sounds like kind of fangirl, nitpicky bullshit, but it's just, like, I don't want to say anyone's wrong for liking it. And, like, I, I know people who like Batman v Superman. That movie was one of the worst experiences of my entire life. I'm not telling them <laughs> that they're wrong for liking it, but, like, I just can't connect with this, the cinematic version of the DC Universe. And Wonder Woman hasn't changed that for me. That's very fair. That's that's my weird Wonder Woman diatribe over. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's talk about this comic then, Vince. Quickly, uh, what did you think of it? Um, boy, I uh, I was surprised how little I thought of it. <laughs> See, I liked it more than I thought it because I expected nothing. Uh huh. But it sounds like neither one of us were all that blown away by it. Well, I don't really need. I like like I yes, I liked the movie, but I. 
I got to admit that I was a little disappointed to read a comic that basically establishes the exact team that Steve Trevor runs around with. Like, yep. like this, this just felt like a movie tie-in comic and nothing really more than that. Agreed. Um, and, and, and I'm a huge Tim Seeley fan. And, uh, I don't know, like, if, if this is where Wonder Woman is going to, like, Brian, is your theory still that he Tim Seeley is going to eventually write Wonder Woman? Yeah, they haven't announced the the like full time writer of Wonder Woman after Greg Rucka, and Seeley's both done this, and there were those issues in uh, Justice, Justice League Suicide Squad. Yeah, where he wrote the um, he wrote the Steve Trevor centric issues. So unless they're giving Steve Trevor a book that Tim Seeley is writing, I oh. think he's going to have Wonder Woman, uh, oh. you know, soonish. Okay, well, first of all, I hope they don't give Steve Trevor a book because he doesn't need one. Uh, second of all, if Celie's Wonder Woman is going to be more of this, I don't really need that. Third of all, just give Wonder Woman to Shea Fontana like full time or Marguerite Bennett or or a woman. Yes, and, I'm, and I, <laughs> I'm seconding the Marguerite Bennett. I've been saying that for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 her time. Absolutely. Um, and 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 I am I'm not saying that just because she's a woman, but I also am. <laughs> I 100 percent am. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that interested in another man writing Wonder Woman. No, like no. Tim Seeley's a great writer. I love his work, and like I haven't read much much of his DC work. Um, I've like other than like these issues, like his uh, the Nightwing stuff I read for this. But like I love Hack Slash, and I love uh. Revival. What's the name of it? Revival. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so I know he's a good writer. I'm just not interested in another man's take on Wonder Woman, to be honest. Yeah. Even though no, like, I know it, it, it probably isn't going to be bad, but you know. Right. I, I'm not either. And I, think... I am totally fine if Celie was the writer of Wonder Woman if there was a second Wonder Woman book written by a woman. And I'm not saying yeah. that this would be the main book. I, I, Wonder Woman should have two books out. There should be Sensation Comics and there should be Wonder Woman. And if that's the case and you want to give Tim Seeley one of those books, I'm cool with that. I would still rather have uh, someone else writing it. And I, Again, no offense to Tim Seeley. The one thing I did enjoy about this issue, Vince, though, was I, I feel like it um, – I liked his di- – his Diana was not in it much, but I liked his Diana a lot in it. Sure, yeah, yeah. So that gave me a little bit of hope for it, but we'll see. Celie's Celie's really good at um, uh, finding a character's voice very quickly. So yes. like, um, that I mean, he's you can tell he's a very experienced writer in that regard. Um, I just think you know, you have writers. You you've got him doing Nightwing, and now he's going to be doing Hellblazer, right? And you've got other writers in your stable who are female, who are like Marguerite Bennett can handle another book. She's only writing one book, right? Well, she she's co-writing Batwoman. And I mean, she's, she's got queer own style. Yeah, and she's doing uh, Bombshell still. Yeah, yep. And, and she's doing Animosity yeah. uh, Aftershock, which is yep. a good book. Yeah. Uh, is she doing Insects there too, or is some, that someone else's book? No, that is insects. I think that's still going. Okay, yeah. As as far as I know. Yeah. Um, that was that was a wild one. I I read the first few, then I fell behind. But did yeah. either of you read that at all? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's 
I think she's a very talented writer. Like I, I remember uh, reviewing her Batman annual for the site, which I think was like one of her first kind of works at DC, major works at DC, yeah, um, or major comic works in general. And I've been following her ever since, and I'm a huge fan of her work. So I yeah. love to see her on. Like she's doing fantastic work in Bombshells consistently. Yeah, and Bombshells I is think, amazing. Like I think having her on Wonder Woman would. Because the thing about Wonder Woman is that even when it's great, it never feels like it's on the same level of the conversation as like Superman Batman is. Even right. though she's like the third peg in the Trinity, she always feels shortchanged. And like I, I 100% agree with Brian. There should be at least two Wonder Woman books. I yes. think we should have a Wonder Woman family line as much as a Batman and Superman family line. But like... The, the baby steps for that is Sensation Comics needs to come back and not as a digital first. Right. It needs to be pushed as hard as Action Comics and Detective Comics is. It seems to me like now is the time to do it too because the movie is a huge, you know, just today past 300 million worldwide. Yeah. So they, they should be right in that wave. Yeah. And not only that, but, you know, the impression that I get is that Greg Rucka wants to do more Wonder Woman eventually. And mm-hmm. if they feel like that he is the biggest name they can get, then give Bennett Wonder Woman, let her do something, and then in six months launch bring Rucka back as the launch writer of that book. If you if you if you don't feel like Wonder Woman's secondary book is enough on its own, then give it a superstar writer. And yeah. and let and let that be the launch for the book then. And one of the things that I love about so I love the structure of having like Superman in action comics. And it's one of the things that I love about the current uh, structure of the coup books as much as you don't, you guys don't like action comics, but the way that Superman is very insular and very personally focused on Superman and his family relationships. Yep. Whereas action comics is a much wider look at the cast and includes uh, Lex Luthor and has these, that's where all the big kind of, crossover event kind of stories are happening these larger events that sometimes tie into superman and sometimes don't but they're 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 actiony you know they're action comics yeah and i feel like having that kind of story where wonder woman is the book where it's very specifically personal to diana and it's the the very character driven stuff and then sensation comics like even if you wanted to bring greg rucker back and he does an arc or a year and then start kind of rotating in create, uh, creators and creative teams for different arcs. You could have these kind of wide-ranging stories for Wonder Woman, which is kind of what they did with the uh, the digital first one. Right. But just kind of give it a bigger push because Wonder Woman, like Wonder Woman's always, she's had that kind of, she's always been present, but I feel like she's never had the push in the way that some of the others kind of bigger names are. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yep. I agree completely. It's like, how, like everyone knows Wonder Woman, but she's only just got her movie now because, like, they've they've never really pushed the weight behind her to get people actually into her stuff beyond her being an icon. Yeah, that's they've they've gotten a lot of mileage out of putting her on lunch boxes, and yeah. that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a shame because she's great. It really is. I would. I love Wonder Woman, and I feel like, like my whole 
the fact that I don't like the Wonder Woman movie doesn't mean that I don't like Wonder Woman. It means that I like Wonder Woman so much that I have stupid expectations for what Wonder <laughs> Woman movie should be. Same that I have with all of these DC movies. I feel like, like sometimes I genuinely feel like I'm the problem here. That I have expectations that are unrealistic for any kind of movie to attain. Uh-huh. You're never. Um, the well, like it's one of those things where like consistently I see these DC movies and even going back to I know we're going to get mad about this I know we're going to get dumb comments about this you can all send your hate mail to it at Alice W. Castle on Twitter the, the Nolan Batman movies and beyond like I have these crazy expectations of what these movies should be and none of them live up to it Superman Returns was good though you can hate me on that <laughs> we have to have a Superman Returns chat one day yes we do uh, let's, like, let's do that yeah let's do that for sure um, I, got, I got to rewatch it though. I, I can. I have. I have it on DVD, but that doesn't help you. <laughs> I was gonna say you can borrow my DVD, but no, you, I have it. I have, I have it. Some, on. Oh, cool. Okay, all right. I have some theories about that movie. I, I have a hot take on that movie okay. that you might be interested in. It's interesting. So we were talking about this last week about how for basically for all three of us, we feel like the Richard Donner Superman is sort of the the gold standard for comic book movies. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. Do you guys think that that would be okay to show to my five-year-old daughter? There's not that much scary oh. stuff in that movie, is there? there which one? Superman Returns or the no, original? No, the, the original Superman, the Donner one. Uh, no, I think that's... I mean, I, kind of, I, I think it depends. If you show the director's cut, I know there's a scene that they added in where Lex Luthor is rigged like a a room full of like machine guns to shoot at Superman, but like he's not hurt, so... No, I, I think that would be fine. Um, I think... The the scene where Lois dies remains really emotionally charged for me. It does, yes. And I th- I think that would be like the biggest kind of red flag for her, but it's almost immediately resolved. Well, that's, that's so, what I was gonna say is that I feel like it goes away fast enough. Yeah. Oh, I I think I think so. I think uh, at least more than Man of Steel. Well, yeah, <laughs> because she was really upset that I was going to see Wonder Woman without her. But yeah. what I told her was like, I'm gonna go see it, and if I think you can handle it, I'll take you to see it again. But I, I like ten minutes in, I'm like, nope, this ain't, this ain't gonna fly, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I, there are so many moments in that movie where I'm like, people are taking their kids to this, and that's, oh, it, it gave me the shivers. Like I know there's kids that could handle that, but kind of across the board, that's they they keep making these superhero movies that kids can't go see, and that's probably my biggest my biggest problem with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm even reluctant to show her like a New Hope right now. Yeah, because I feel like just the cantina is going to scare her, <laughs> and because Obi Wan's death, even though again it's resolved relatively quickly, it's it's kind of a complicated thing to explain. Yeah, it, it, it's not a like cut and dry death in a movie. Yeah, you know? so like no, he's he's dead, but he's he's he one with the Force. You know, like it's it's kind of hard to to get into that, but yeah, that's all right. So, Alice, uh, as an experiment here, did you enjoy your foray into DC for the week? Uh, I did, for the most part. There's, like, the the problem with jumping in feet first into the middle of an arc or just kind of, like, the you're rolling a dice on whether you're getting a issue that's structured so that anyone can come into and read it or whether it's really dense in the middle of an arc or like Deathstroke, where it's, it's recapping all of these storylines in a way that is specifically for long-term readers. Um, but overall, like, the last time I really paid attention to DC stuff, like, I, I think I mentioned this before, I started reading single-issue comics because of the New 52. And 
I didn't last long with the New 52, <laughs> but I haven't paid much attention to the status quo of Rebirth since it like launched, basically. And to know that there's still so many books that are this good and this like these are the kind of superhero books that I like, where they're schlocky and they're really bright and they're really they're focused on heroes that are doing good, right? Like yeah. it's it's such a weird thing to say, but like coming out of New Fifty Two, like having a Green Lantern issue that's and all the thing that happens in that Green Lantern issue is they all just have fun. Like there is emotional weight to their to their training but they're also just sparring there's no dire threat there's nothing blowing up no one's losing an arm you know like it's a green lantern issue that's really fun and i sometimes you forget what it's like when superhero movie, superhero comics are allowed to be fun i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more well, folks, thanks for listening to this episode. This was a long one. I thought it was going to be a nice short one so Alice would go to bed. but uh... Yeah, I, I, I got to watch the sunrise throughout this episode. Oh. <laughs> We're bad people, Vince. No, not Alice. Alice is the best. She's Alice the best. Is- well, she, she is the best, but I was saying we're bad people for making her stay up to watch the sunrise. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Alice, where can folks find you online and what's going on with you lately? Um, so, mostly you can find my stuff at Multiversity Comics, obviously. Um, each month I'm going to be doing a monthly annotations com- column about Marvel's Star Wars comics, which recently launched this last week. I don't know when this is going yeah, out. Yeah, it'll go on Wednesday, so um, last week, yeah. So the start of, uh, we recapped, um, May's comics with the Screaming Citadel and Bo Dameron, and you can find that there every month, as well as Force Goes Coast to Coast, which I host, which is our Star Wars podcast, where we talk basically everything Star Wars um, each month. The last issue, the last issue, the last episode that went up would be our talk about Screaming Citadel, which Vince guested on, and yeah. the Thrawn novel, which me and Ken had a very interesting conversation about that. I think if, you, if Brian should maybe listen to that if you're not worried about us like spoiling the Thrawn novel before you read it. Well, that's like, I was thinking about that today, how like I haven't read the Screaming Citadel or the Thrawn novel, so I'm like, I was yeah. gonna, I'm going to put that one in the back burner for a little while. Uh, go back to that. I think we have we have an interesting conversation about Thrawn. Okay. Um, but outside of Microverse of Comics, you can send all your hate mail about my opinions on DC Comics to at AliceWCastle on Twitter, and that's pretty much where I am these days. And uh, as always, you can find Vince and myself on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I, and I'm British now. So, <laughs> right now, Alice needs an app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty much at all times I could use an app. My wife makes fun of me because some days she'll just like come in to like I'm doing something. She's like, You'd rather be napping right now, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I would. So, in the past 24 hours, I've had two distinct naps before this <laughs> recording. So, I'm doing pretty good. Nice. I'm jealous. All right, guys. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully, Zach's having fun in Japan right now. So, hi, Zach. We'll all talk to you soon. Bye. See ya.